First Peter chapter two, verse five. You know this verse. You'll hear it a lot today. I, I want to talk. I want to talk to us about protecting our life together. But I want to talk to you about you protecting your individual life, but also us protecting it together. First Peter two, verse five says, "You also." I want to speak today like living stones. Who who would put those two words together? Stones and living. What a strange thing to say! Like I often think of stones as cold and old, and you know, no life in them. But living stones, what's that? You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This, I just want to ask you: Are you full of life? Or could I say to you, is the life that we are leading all that it's supposed to be, all that it's cracked up to be as, as Christians? There are several ideas expressed about the Christian life or the discipleship life. Have you met those people who make it so heavy, so religious, so fearful? I mean, have you met those Christians who, like, everything they do is worrying? It's like... God is ready to thunderbolt people at the next moment. And that's a bit strange to me. But then there are other people who make the Christian life like a spiritual version of the American dream, where you can be everything you want to be. And the truth is, is that Christian life involves all aspects of life. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8, we face death all day long. And we are at the moment in our nation. The Bible says, or Jesus said, I have told you this so that you may have my joy and that my joy in you may be complete. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We go through everything of life, joy, grief, laughter, sorrow, everything is ours, but we go through it with a spiritual dimension and a wisdom a wisdom that deepens and grows us so that our lives count for something and so that we have value in everything we do. The difference with a Christian is, is that everything that happens to us, God can recycle it into meaning. Everything that we go through, God can minister to us and speak to us through it. And we want to get the most out of our lives, don't we? we and, and that's a kind of approach. And at this time of the year, we, we tend to look at ourselves and say, oh, must go to the gym. Or, you know, raise your hand if you've joined a gym or you bought an app. Or, you know, even Chris Cartwright said he'd, he'd gone from couch to 5K on Friday night, wasn't he? And I was thinking, oh, Lord, you know, even the GS is is uh, getting into this health thing. How many of you have gone on a diet? Don't raise your hand. At this time of year, we do this. You might want to consider a few facts, though, at this time of year. The inventor of the treadmill died at 54 years old. The inventor of gymnastics died at 57 years old. And the world bodybuilding champion died when they were 41 years old. The best footballer of the world at his time, Maradona, he died at the age of 60. And uh, James Fuller Fix, credited with helping to start America's fitness revolution by popularizing the sport of running, died of a heart attack whilst jogging at 52. 
Can I just make mention to you, though, that the inventor of KFC lived till he was 94. <laughs> that the McDonald's founder died at 81. And the Pizza Hut found, founder, Frank, he lived till he was 82. And uh, I lived in Birmingham for uh, several years, and John Cadbury, who uh, kind of invented chocolate, or at least popularized it, lived until he was 87. You see, the rabbit jumps up and down all the time, but only lives for two years. But the turtle doesn't do much exercise, and they live for 400 years. <laughs> now, I just believe we should be healthy eating before those. I get in trouble with those folks who really popularize that. But what I'm saying this year is chill out. Come on. But maybe just trying to get the most out of the life isn't the right approach. Actually, we need to become people who are connected, connected to God, connected to each other, that we are vibrant, that we are living stones. That the reason the Bible calls us living stones is because it's trying to convey something really important about us. And the important thing there is that the scripture is trying to convey is that we are supposed to be full of life. It's difficult in January, I know. But we are to be vibrant, living and alive. But at the same time, we are to be solid, sustainable, longer lasting, not dull and dead, but actually not going away easily. We are to be this sustainable people. So I just want to share just a few thoughts today on how we can be both alive and vibrant, but also slow and steady at the same time. You see, there are some things that will block life out of you. And, and some things will be like these sustainability sappers. Here's, here's the first one. Number one, you need to create an environment around you so that you can hear. One of the things that block our life from us is the environment that we're in that we never challenge it or, in fact, can I say that we never create a hearing, a hearing of the Holy Spirit environment around us that in the midst of what we are con constantly receiving, you know, that negative work atmosphere, that, that family perhaps that isn't quite right, that if we're surrounded by an atmosphere, we need to develop the art of stepping back and saying, what are you saying now, God? You see, that's why in this church, some of you might think, well, you know, it's not, we just press in a little bit more. We need to create a worship atmosphere on Sundays until God speaks, or so that we're open to God speaking. That's why sometimes we're pressing in in worship because we're, we're not just singing, we're praying, we're pressing in, we're creating an atmosphere. Let me show you something from the Scriptures. In 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, let me read you something. It said, Elisha said, Surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect uh, for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I, I would, pay, would not pay any attention to you. He's talking to the king of, of Israel at this moment. But now bring me a harpist, and while the harpist is playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Elisha didn't want to be in this situation. How many of you are going to work tomorrow and you're not sure you want to be there? Don't say anything, staff of KT. 
How many of you are going to do work tomorrow? You've got to start learning at work to step back and create an atmosphere around you because you've got to do your work, but create an atmosphere where you can still hear the Lord. Elisha didn't want to be there. He was mixed about this assignment, but he created an environment around him where he could say, I can hear you, Lord. I wonder if you'll do that this week. If regularly through the week, as we're going through this journey together, that you can say, I want to create an atmosphere around me. Atmospheres are important. I don't know whether you've ever visited a married couple and you know there's an atmosphere and you think, Ooh, what went on before I got here? We all have ongoing environments and beliefs that block our lives. There might be an atmosphere at work that you think, you know what, God, I've got to step back from this and not join in with it so much. And we all have these ongoing environments that can block life from us about what God wants to do for us now. We have to intentionally create an environment around us that can help us to hear. Are you joining in too much with a negative environment? Step back. Almost, I would say, get your harpist and let the Lord begin to change that atmosphere around you. But let me take this deeper. Secondly, a thing that blocks uh, our life from us is we have to break the cycle of handed down beliefs, particularly from our family or from our, our culture, that that can sometimes block life from us. From us, We're unaware sometimes of the things that our families have passed down to us, things that people in our past have passed down to us, things that we have taken for granted that we think, oh, that's true. They just sit in our lives as attitudes and they've been handed down to us. That, that can even happen in some churches, that you've been handed down some things that actually now aren't working for you, aren't blessing you, aren't bringing you life. We have to expose these. Look, can I teach you this? Can I... Turn, turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, this is important. If you're at home, uh, just lay your Bible open. Follow along with me. Genesis chapter 4. If you've got it on your phone, turn there. Genesis 4, and uh, we'll look at from verse 13. I'm going to read a bit with this and follow this with me. You see, because I think what happened was is that Cain passed on attitudes that he didn't allow his ancestors to be free. He handed some things down that blocked their freedom. I just wonder what's been handed down to you that's blocking your life and your freedom. Come and read with me. Genesis chapter 4 verse 13 says this. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. The word uh, presence in Hebrew means face. He's gone from the face of the Lord. And I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And that word for earth there meant face. And so Cain was like playing on words saying, I've gone from your face and now I'm wandering on the face of the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, this is a mercy thing that the Lord did for Cain. Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. It's a mercy thing. 
Because I want to protect you. I know you've done wrong, but I'm, I'm putting a mercy mark on you. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And Cain was then building a city. Well, it's not very obedient at that time. And he named it after his son, Enoch. Can you just see the intensity of their relationship? You know, that he'd name a whole city after his son. Okay? Enoch's very special to Cain. And to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mehujael, and Mehujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. And that's hard to say with these teeth. <laughs> now, Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. And Ada gave birth to Yabel, who was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock, his brother's name was Yubal, who was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son. Now, this is five generations away and named him Tubal Cain. Can you see that five generations down, Cain is still influencing this family? They're named after great, 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 great. Oh, no, don't, let's go back there after last week. And he forged all kinds of tools of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was named Neymar. And Lamech said to his wives, now listen to this. Ada and Zilda, listen to me, the wives of Lamech. Hear the words, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech will be 77 times. God said something good to Cain. He said, no, not so. If anyone kills you, they'll suffer vengeance seven times. By the time we get to Lemur, it's, don't touch this family. I'll kill you 77 times over. Enoch, Erad, Mahujalel, Mahuthelel, Lemur. That's five generations. And Lamech said, I've killed a man for wounding me. Well, hang on a second. How did it get to this? How did it get to, if you kill Cain, to, you look at me the wrong way and you're out, we're going to get you? How did it get to, our family is so special that even if you say anything to us, if you wound us a little bit, we're coming after you. In fact, we're doing it 77 times 7. How did it get to that? In this family the idea of slightest offence of any personal injury had grown so much over five generations that they felt it was normal to be defensive. I wonder what's been handed down to you. I wonder what attitudes have been passed on to you. It's something that started out as a good thing, became twisted so that this family was, you can't touch this, do, 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 do. You can't touch this. Now I know everybody who listens to worldly music in the house. You can't touch this. How did that happen? What's happening to you? What is it from your past that's blocking life? What do you take as normal, as an attitude from your family or even our culture? You see, I wonder if we can make the judgment over our culture, over our family background, over our family life through biblical truth. 
that overcomes these family beliefs that just sit in our psyche all the time. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ, the Lord God, forgave you. All of our culture, all of our family has to be uh, filtered through what biblical truth is. Had Cain's family heard what God's heart was, by the time five generations, they would have said, well, hang on a second, that was then, this is now, we need to be different. We need to hear what the Lord is saying. Isn't it true that we have to ask ourselves, is this attitude biblical? Is this what the Bible says Never mind what my grandma says. Never mind what we've always believed in our family. Never mind what we've always said. What does the Bible say? You see, Peter said this. When he was writing to the Jews who were scattered through the Roman Empire, he said this. For those, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. But the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect, you see, the Jews had a beautiful culture. They, they worshipped God with, with rhythms and festivals. I'll talk about that in a bit. But they had a lovely culture, but they missed it. They missed Jesus because they assumed that what was sitting on their lives was all right. I wonder if you can say to yourself today, God, I want to break the cycle of beliefs handed down to me. I once was counseling with a Nigerian lady, and she'd, she'd been proclaimed as Usa, or a, a cursed tribe. And, and we prayed into that, and we broke that cycle. I wonder if you have received any curses from your past that just now today need to be broken at the start of this year. But you will say, that is not me. I had an English teacher, and he regularly called me stupid. And by the end of that school, I almost believed that, but actually I became saved in the middle of high school. And I looked at him one day, and I didn't say it to him. I just said, I'm not stupid, I'm Jesus's. I'm not wearing your label. I wonder if there are family labels, past labels, that you need to say, you know what, I'm not living under the mark of Cain. I'm living under the grace of Jesus right now. Amen? Come on, somebody give him a hand clap of praise. I just think there are some labels in our house that we need to tear off, even if it's like a plaster that hurts at first, just tear it off. So first of all, if you want to have life and be a living stone, let's create environments around us so that we can hear, even at work. Let's step back from what the atmosphere is there and create new atmospheres. If you want to create life and, and be a living stone, why don't you begin to say, I'm going to break the cycle of those handed down beliefs and attitudes and labels that have been given. But thirdly, if you want to be a living stone, why don't you begin to say to yourself, I want to break the delusion of the unreachable life. You see, another life blocker is 
The life sometimes that we're reaching for is unreachable and you're not meant to have it anyway. Can I take you over to Mark chapter 4? Jesus is speaking the parable of the sower. And I won't go into all the parable of the sower, but he said this in verse 18. He said, still others, like seed sown amongst the thorns, hear the word. He's describing a group of people that, that receive the word. They hear the word. But the worries of this life, number one, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things, they choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, you're here today. You, you, you really want to serve Jesus. I can tell that you do. But I wonder if you receive this word and then by this week, some of the attitudes that we have begin to sap the strength out of the word that you receive. And one of the things that blocks our life is this continually reaching for the life we're not meant to have. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have ambition or to push for things, but look at this. The life that we're never meant to happen or the life that you wish you had instead of seeking God in the life that you actually have. It's your life. You have it. And God's present with you now in the life you have now. There are times we all wish we had different things. Oh, the trouble I've had with this hair. It's all falling out now, so that problem's going away. But we all wish we had different things, don't you? Look at this. The life that you're worried might happen, the worries of this life. What if this happens? Well, what if it does? God's with you. The deceitfulness of wealth. You know, wealth promises things that it can't deliver. Somebody once said to me, oh, you know, that somebody, they were watching somebody who won the lottery and they, and they said, oh, I don't play the lottery. And they said, well, I, I don't play the lottery, Pastor, but I'd like to have the problem that it brings. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. The promise of wealth promises things that it cannot deliver. God is your provider. The best approach to life is management and stewardship and that you will have the life that God wants you to have. The desire for other things. Thirdly, Jesus lifted up. And sometimes this is either the wrong timing on the right things or the wrong things that take up your time. Let me say that again. It can be the wrong timing on the right things or the wrong things that take up your time. Somebody once said to me, oh, I'm really enjoying riding my motorbike at the weekend. And I said, well, I hope you enjoy riding your motorbike at the weekend, but we're in church on Sunday mornings. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a good time. And it's, you know, we only require here that you come to church 51 and a half times a year. I'm not saying it's just... But what I'm saying to you is, have you put your heart on some things that are just taking you in the wrong direction. The life that you're not supposed to have. Not everything coming at you is supposed to land in you. I want to encourage you today. God's got things for you. He's got good things for you. Stop looking for the life 
that isn't yours to have, but seek God in the life that you actually have and let him take it on from there. Hey, I'm going to close in a moment, but just wanted to say that if we're going to receive life, we need to move away from lists and move towards rhythm in our life. That a life that lasts is a life that moves in rhythms. And I've put more of that in the 40-day journal. Everything healthy happens in a rhythm. Everything worship life of Israel happened in a rhythm of, of, of worship celebrations. If you move from just doing lists, but you start prioritizing and saying, what's my rhythm? That you have a rhythm for your rest. That you have a rhythm for your receiving. You know, that you say, every day, this is when I receive. Or, or that, that every week, this is when I receive. You have a rhythm for your relationships. That you begin to prioritize. That, that you, know, you don't just fit in your relationships. You say, this is when I connect with the people I'm in relationship with, that you have a, a rhythm about your serving. Instead of deciding, oh, I think I might serve, or, or uh, if I get an opportunity to serve, that you actually decide to serve and say, every two weeks I'm going to serve. And it becomes a rhythm in your life. Healthy things happen in rhythms. You know, in the 1980s, we had a, a phrase, it was more around drugs, that was kind of choose life. But can I just modify that a little bit and say, you have to decide for life. Decisions that make us durable are really important. God has a life for you that, want, that you need to inherit so that you can last. And we're going to have to make some decisions to make it happen. I don't know how old you are. But there was a film, in, I think it was in 1964, called The Sound of Music. Anybody heard it? The hills are alive. Okay, I can tell there are some young people here who are going, what is that? But in The Sound of Music, where Julie Andrews was in, there was a, uh, an actress who actually played Sister Bertha, who was a grumpy nun. And she was named Portia Nelson, was her real name. And Portia Nelson wrote lots, she wrote lots of songs. And she was kind of a character. Uh, cabaret singer, and she got bit parts in, in some films. In fact, she was Dr. Doolittle's wife in the original version in that film. But one of the lasting things that Portia Nelson wrote was in a book of poetry, and she wrote her autobiography in five chapters. I'm going to read it to you now. So settle in. Let's read a whole autobiography, five chapters. Are you ready? Chapter one. I walk down the street there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I am hopeless. It isn't my fault. It takes me forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it. It's there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. 
chapter 5. I walk down a different street. Amen? Come on. Some of you have got to decide. You've got to decide for your life you're walking down a different street. You've got to make some decisions where you say, I'm not doing that anymore. You've got to decide for life. I'm not doing that anymore. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal and to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here are three decisions we need to make today. Some of us need to forget some things. You actually need to decide, like the Lord, he chooses not to remember. He doesn't just go out of his mind. He says, I am not thinking about that. We have to forget some things from family or some of the past sucking the life out of us. Another decision that some of us have got to make is we've got to forego some opportunities. Not everything coming at you is supposed to land in you. And you've got to move up to a new level of discipleship. You see, Jesus could have spent all of his ministry winning the argument against the Pharisees. He could have defeated them in debate, but he decided, I'm not just winning the argument, I'm choosing my mission. And he went to the cross. Not every opportunity that you get is for you, actually. And then the third decision that we have to make is not only forget some past things or forgo some things that are taking us in the wrong direction, but to begin to foresee the life that God has for us. Forget, forego, and begin to foresee and say, I want that life. I want to be a better disciple. I want to make some goals. I've got a friend. He, he has worked out, kind of, and I'll bring this to you. I've got a friend. He's worked out that if Christians prayed for 10 minutes a day, he's put all the time together and he's added up how much that is in a year. But he says if 144 Christians prayed for 10 minutes a day throughout, uh, throughout the year, that would add up to 365 days of constant prayer being offered up to God. I wonder if we could become a praying church. I wonder if we could say, God, as far as we are, there will be incense burning in this place all the time because we're a community that have decided, I am going to set some goals in my life. I'm going to see what you could do.